we've been in this conversation, Jesus in his own words, and here's what we've been saying. I kind of want to catch up to speed so you know where we're going with this thing, okay? We've been talking about this idea called fake news. Raise your hand if you've heard of fake news. Let me just see your hands, okay? If you haven't heard of it, go turn the news on this afternoon, right? You'll hear about it. It's a big deal. All fake news is this. It's simply a news story that is actually false, okay, but it gets reported as true, And what happens, it gets reported as true, then it gets repeated over and over and over again. And what happens when it gets repeated, it gets reported, repeated, and eventually believed as though it was true, fake news. So it's something that has global impact, right? I mean, if you watch the news, it's like all over the place, national impact. It's had regional and local influence. In fact, we had some fun uh, a couple weeks kind of looking at it. It's had historical impact. There are stories that you and I heard growing up in U.S. history class that didn't quite happen the way we learned them. And so we looked at some of those, some very familiar ones, some famous ones. And what has happened over the years is those stories have been reported and then they've been repeated. And eventually we're just like, that must be fact. And here's what we've said, that in most cases, not all, but in most cases, it's relatively inconsequential what you believe about some of those stories, relatively, okay? But we said this, there is something that is extremely consequential, and that's this, you ready? What you believe about Jesus this morning is of extreme consequence. In fact, we would say it this way, okay? We say here at Grace Church, and by the way, you don't have to agree with everything I say to come here, okay? I want to make that clear right from the get-go. But here's what we would say at Grace Church, that what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you, and that leads to an interesting idea because here's the deal. When I say the name Jesus in our culture, in our society, most people have a picture that pops to their mind. Most people have an idea of what they think about Jesus. Now, their idea may be inaccurate, And a lot of times it's incomplete, and here's why. Because a lot of times our idea of Jesus comes from a report that's been repeated. And over time, we just believe it. Some of us, the picture that comes to our mind is because Jesus is kind of the the, the hot item on a lot of the publications that we see. So we see or read different magazines, and we're like, oh, okay, that must be who Jesus is. That must be what Jesus is all about. So we read Newsweek, or, or it's the radical Jesus, or Jesus online. Others of us The picture we have of Jesus kind of comes from Hollywood or TV, and we look at Jesus, and there's some familiar pictures. Some of you can spot the Bart Simpson Jesus, top row, middle, right? Others of you down on the bottom row, right corner, can spot Passion of the Christ, right? Very popular movie a couple years ago, and a lot of you saw it, and you're like, man, when I think of Jesus, that's what I think of. Some of y'all right now, okay, some of y'all right now, you're really into movie on the left bottom, right? The Shack, the book called The Shack. And so you're like, I love that. I went and saw it and this, that, and the other thing. And all I would say is this. I was simply, I've been cautioning just simply saying this. That is not the Bible, okay? That is not the Bible. So when, when they portray Jesus, they're trying to give you some picture of Jesus. And that picture, if repeated, report it, repeat it, report it, can eventually be what people believe about Jesus. 
Others have a picture of Jesus where he's a superhero, right? And so on the right, you have Rambo Jesus. We like to think of Jesus as kind of a Rambo, can beat anybody kind of figure, or a Superman figure. Some people, and this is very, very common in our culture today, want to think of Jesus as a culturally relevant Jesus. So we like to put him in some sort of picture that fits today. So we have, flip the slide for me, we have the San Francisco giant Jesus, right? Or top, middle, we have, if you Google this, you'll find this, we have Republican Jesus, right? And so if you Google Republican Jesus, well, that's what he must look like, right? Down here in the left corner, we have, we have hippie Jesus, right? We have black Jesus. We have American, all kinds of pictures of Jesus. Some of y'all, you grew up in church. Or, or you grew up with a grandma who went to church, Right? And there is a picture you have of Jesus. For some of you, your favorite picture of Jesus is Christmas. Like Jesus, manger, baby Jesus, right? For some of you, you have this this stained glass image of Jesus. You saw it in a cathedral somewhere. For some of you, you grew up in a church where you always saw Jesus on the cross, this crucifix. So you grew up in a church like that, right? Others of you, this is probably the most popular for me, left corner, right? How many of you have recognized that picture? I, I grew up thinking that must be what Jesus looks like, right? Jesus knocking on the door. Jesus the good shepherd. All kinds of pictures. When I say Jesus, guaranteed picture comes to your mind. There is incomplete pictures of Jesus. There are inaccurate pictures pictures of Jesus, and there are people who have a distorted picture of Jesus, even to the point, you ready, you ready, even to the point where there are some people who think they are Jesus. Raise your hand if you've ever met that kind of person, they thought they were Jesus. Okay, there ain't been many all morning, right? I've met somebody who thought they were Jesus, legit thought they were Jesus. I was in middle school. I was a little bit of a smart aleck in middle school. I know that's hard to believe, but I was, okay? We lived right beside a major highway. I was playing basketball one day with my dog who I had. He wasn't playing with me. I took my dog for a walk. He was there, right? I grew up in the mountains of Pennsylvania, if we've never met. And uh, in the mountains of Pennsylvania, we didn't have inside dogs. We had outside dogs, right? And in my growing up years, we had three dogs, in Pennsylvania. So the first dog, that dog's name was Buffy. That dog got loose and got run over by a car. So we asked our dad, can we get another dog? He said, sure, you can get another dog. And so we got dog number two, and that dog's name was Buffy. In the mountains, man, you don't have to think very much, right? That dog got loose, got run over by a car, and so we got a third dog, and I said, why don't we name that dog Buffy. So I'm with Buffy number three. I'm playing basketball. And and this honestly is what happened. I'm just kind of shooting and doing whatever and whatnot. And all of a sudden I turn around and there's a guy standing there. I'd never seen him before in my life. And, And I thought, well, that's creepy enough. But then the dude asked me a question. Like, remember, I'm in middle school, right? He says, do you know who I am? I remember saying to him this. I'm like, no, do you know who you are? Is what I said to him, right? Nothing like a smart like middle schooler, right? He looked at me, and this is what he said next. This really creeped me out. He said, hey, look deep into my eyes. So I did. I looked deep into his eyes. And then he said, do you know why your dog likes me so much? My dog was sniffing around his feet at the point in time. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe my dog thinks you're a tree. I'm not sure, right? 
And then the guy says, that's not why your dog likes me so much. Your dog likes me because I am Jesus Christ. Yeah, old boy is right. I said, nice to meet you, see you later, right? Back to playing. Here's the deal. People have all kinds, even if they think they themselves are Jesus, people have all kinds of pictures of Jesus, distorted, incomplete, inaccurate. All kinds of things have been reported, repeated, eventually believed. That's why we're doing this series. Because we said, well, why don't we just go to Jesus and see what he had to say about himself? That sounds like a good plan. Why don't we just hear it right from the source himself? And so that's why you have your Bibles open to the book of John. Here's why. Because seven times in the book of John, Jesus said, I am filled in the blank. He said, I'm not going to leave you in the dark on this. You want to know who I am? I am. Seven times filled in the blank. Beyond that, book of John is fascinating. He doesn't just have seven I am statements. But seven times in the book of John, John decides to record seven of Jesus' miracles or signs. Here's why that's important. When you combine these miracles or signs of Jesus with these powerful I am statements, all of a sudden they pop and they give us a picture for who Jesus said he was. Let me give you a for instance. We looked at this, but there was one occasion where Jesus had this following of about 25,000 people and there was nothing to eat. And so Jesus begins looking around and eventually they find a little boy who has a Lunch, and he says, bring that lunch to me, and Jesus feeds the crowd of 25,000 with this little boy's lunch. That's a big deal, right? That's like, whoa, right? Pretty cool. But Jesus is like, that's not the biggest deal. Like, I know it's a pretty big deal that I fed 25,000 people with a Lunchable, but that is not the big deal. The big deal is what I have to say after that, and that is this, that you might be filled up with bread that fills your stomach, but I am the bread of life. You see how that works? He's like, there's something bigger going on here. Like, like performing that is not the deal. Like, I didn't come just so I could hand out food to people. I came because I'm the bread of life. Jesus healed a lame guy and a blind guy. That's a big deal. Like, people are like, wow, right? But he's like, no, 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 that's not the biggest deal. Because I did that, but I want that to point to the fact I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because today Jesus is going to perform maybe the most spectacular, phenomenal miracle in the book of John. He's going to do something that's going to blow your mind. If you've never heard this story, you're like, huh? Because when you get to John 11, here's what we're going to see Jesus do. Jesus is going to raise a dead guy back to life. That's kind of a big deal. But he's going to want us to know this, that as big of a deal as that is, is not nearly as big as the statement he makes attached to that. And here's what he says. Jesus says, you want to know who I am? Here's who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. In fact, if you're filling in your notes, I would write that down this morning. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And when he says that, If you read the rest of the book of John, here's what you would find. That was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Because the whole rest of the book of John is literally watching Jesus take this journey to the cross. They're going to kill him. They're like, that's enough. And so when you get to John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's important to us this morning for a lot of reasons. I think that's important for you this morning, and you need to hear this message at Easter because there's some of you, ready? Look here a second. There are some of you that are in the room, and something has died inside of you. 
And this morning he comes and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. There's some of you, the circumstances in your life have killed something in you. They've killed all hope, anticipation, expectation. Something's died inside of you. Can I get a little personal? For some of you, your church experience has killed something inside of you. It's dead. And this morning he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. For some of you, the spiritual platitudes that people keep filling your mind with have killed something inside of you because all they are are anecdotal answers to big, deep questions. And you're like, something's died inside of me. When we get to John 11, here's the deal. Some of you that know this story, it's going to blow your mind. Jesus doesn't just encounter one dead guy. You ready? That's not what happens. In John 11, we see Jesus encountering four people in whom something has died. And I want you to pay attention to these four people because here's what I want you to do this Easter Sunday. I want you to find yourself. There are four people I want you to pay attention to. First is I want you to pay attention to the literal dead guy. His name's Lazarus. When we get to John 11, like he's going to be in a tomb, he's dead, he's buried, right? I want you to pay attention in the story to him. Some of you might be like, yep, that's who I relate to. But there are other people I want you to pay attention to. That dead guy had two sisters, One's name was Martha, one's name was Mary. And when we get to them, I want you to pay attention to them because some of you will be able to relate with them. And then there's a fourth guy in the story, and his name is Thomas. And many of you have heard of Thomas, and I want you to pay attention to Thomas when we get to Thomas because some of you will be able to relate to Thomas. How does the story go? I'm glad you asked. Look with me, verse 1, chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. In fact, we're going to find out he was very sick. And he was from Bethany, village of his sisters, whose names were Mary and Martha. Verse 3. So the sisters did what might come natural. They sent word to Jesus, right? Lord, the one you love is sick. Stop for a minute. Let's make some observation. Lazarus is very, very, very sick. This family is in deep, deep need. And here's what we know from the story. Jesus has a special relationship with this family. Make no bones about it. Jesus loves this family. Let that file away. Jesus loves this family, which makes the rest of the story very interesting, maybe even intriguing. Because here's what happens, verse 4. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. That sounds good. That's good news. And then he goes on, nope, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And then verse 5, as though to reiterate it so that you don't doubt it, so that you understand it, so that you believe it. He says, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. It's as though he wants you to know, hey, listen, Lazarus sick. They called for Jesus. Jesus said, this isn't going to end in death. God's going to get glory. And then as though to reiterate it so that we don't mistake it, he says, hey, Jesus loved this family. Which makes the next verse all the more confusing for many of us. And what we see, look here a second, in the next verse is why some of you are frustrated with God, have discounted God, are struggling with God. Because of what happens in the next verse. Can I tell you something about the Bible? God doesn't sanitize reality in the Bible. I love how real the Bible is. Because here's what happens. Jesus loves this family. Lazarus is sick. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran right away to fix the situation. 
Is that what your Bible says? Because if it does, I'd get a new Bible. Here's what it says. So when he, who's he? Jesus. Jesus, the one that loves Lazarus? Yep. Jesus, the one that loves Martha and Mary? Yep. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He loved them, didn't move. Some of you can relate because you're in a pickle. You got stuff going on in your life and you have a belief that Jesus loves you and you're letting him know of your need and yet it feels like he ain't moving. Or at least he's not moving like I think he ought to be moving, right? And it, what, it's what causes confusion. It's what makes you perplexed. It's what makes some of you distant and frustrated. And I'm here to tell you something that the Bible reveals that these people were people just like you and me. So what happens in verse 7? He said to his disciples, well, why don't we go back to Judea? They said, but teacher, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back? Here's what's going on. Jesus wasn't real popular because he had been doing some things, and they're saying, hey, your poll numbers aren't real good in Judea, and Bethany's only two miles from Jerusalem. You're going to be an easy target. And if we're with you, that means we're going to be an easy target. Like, why would we want to do that? And then Jesus says, hey, listen, we got to go back. Stay with me because Lazarus has fallen asleep. Stay with me on this. Disciples are like, okay, Lazarus was sick and he's sleeping. Sounds good. He's going to get better. Why would we go wake him up, right? Jesus is like, you don't get what I'm saying. Like, so I'm going to have to cut right to the chase and I'm going to say it this way. No, no, guys, Lazarus is dead. We got to go. And then verse 16, something very interesting happens. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, that's a word that sounds like twin. A lot of people think Thomas was a twin. That's interesting. But then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go. Then look what he says next, that we may die with him. Look here a second. Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples. He was a follower of Jesus. Can I just say something, get it off my chest? Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes. Because most of us have heard of Doubting Thomas, and here's how we remember him. He's the one who doubted, right? He's the one who questioned, and I think he gets a bad rap. Because in this story, do you see it? He's the leader. He's like saying to the rest of the disciples, okay, come on. But when you read the story, can we just be honest about this? If you read it, something died in Thomas. In fact, when you read this verse, I would read it with a little Eeyore in it. <laughs> He's looking and says, let's go. We'll go with Jesus so that we can die just like Lazarus. <laughs> you guys see something died in Thomas? Thomas was committed. Thomas, he was committed. He, 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 he wanted to fulfill the duty. Well, this is what you do. This is where we'll go. This is the obligation, and his obligation has killed the opportunity. His duty totally smothered the delight. He was somebody who did the right things. He, he, he checked off the right boxes. He was a guy who was going to do what it is that needed to be done, but he totally lost, stay with me, any expectation that God might show up. In this Easter, that's exactly where some of you are at. You're a good church-going, law-abiding, rule-keeping. 
you, you check the boxes, you follow the rules, you jump through the hoops, you're like, let's go. Why are you doing That's what a Christian does. That's what a Christ follower does. It's not supposed to be happy, you know? And what happens is, listen, some of you have, have stopped expecting God to show up. And something's died inside of you. You've lost the wow, you've lost the wonder, you've lost the pizzazz, you've lost... You've lost the expectation that God might show up. Now, what's interesting is, is as they go back to Judea, Martha, one of the sisters, if you read the story of Mary and Martha, you realize they're two different gals, right? So, so Martha was type A. Any type A's in the room? Raise your hand if you're type A personality, right? You're a go-getter. I'm going to take control, right? She's type A. Some of you are not raising your hand, but your husband's going, bam, that's you, right? I get it, right? I know how that works. Martha's type A, right? So you know about Martha. She's a little different personality than Mary. And so she hears Jesus is coming, boom, out. Jesus gets there four days, four days, say it out loud with me, four days after Lazarus is dead. He's dead. Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and she has something to say to Jesus. Look at verse 21. Read a little tone in there, if you will. Type A, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I love it, right? Like, Lord, but then she says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, I know, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Guys, look here a second. Some of you have read this, grown up this story. I believe when you read this, something died in Martha. Something was dead in Martha. Can you hear it in her response? Because it's the very same thing that's died in some of you in the room. In her response is this. She's like, I know, I know, I know. I went to Sunday school. I know the answer. I know what to believe. I know exactly what, what to say right now. I know he's going to rise again. And so she knew what to believe. She knew the right doctrine, but her doctrine was dry and had no life to it. Here's what Martha had. Remember this term. She had a bumper sticker theology. She knew exactly what to say when, and she knew how to say it at the right moment. She's like, I know, I know, I know. I know he'll rise again. I got a t-shirt with it. I got a bumper sticker for the chariot. I know, I know, I know, right? And it's exactly where some of you are at this Easter. Because for some of you, your whole church or Christian experience has been a bumper sticker experience. You know exactly the right things to say at the right moments. And there's no life. You, you come in because you grew up learning the phrases in Sunday school, learning the principles. You've learned the passages, but you've missed the person. And so you know exactly what to say. At the moment, somebody dies. I know what to say. Well, they're in a better place. Somebody's going through a hard time. God works all things for good. Somebody's really struggling. Listen, 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 listen. God won't give anybody more than they can handle. And what happens is something in you dies because you realize that this anecdotal bumper sticker theology has no life to it. And listen, don't raise your hand. Please don't do that. But if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, you know there's no life to it. Because you know when you're struggling that a bumper sticker, that an answer, that some sort of anecdotal chicken soup for the soul doesn't cut it. 
And that's exactly why Jesus says what he says in verse 25. He says to her, listen, Martha, what you're saying is not wrong. Listen, what she was saying wasn't wrong. But he's saying, you're just missing the point. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? He's saying hope is not some dry doctrine. Hope is not found on a bumper sticker. Hope is not an anecdotal spiritual quote. That's not hope. Here's what Jesus is saying. You need to hear this. He's like, there's a person behind those principles and passages you've memorized and plastered on every situation. And the person is where hope is, and I am that person. So Martha leaves that moment. She runs back to the house. Because there's somebody in the house that she needs to talk to. You know who's in the house? Mary. Guys, this is interesting. Read your Bible in color, not black and white, because there's something interesting happening here. Mary didn't go with Martha. She's a little different personality. And I've read all kinds of theories as to why Mary stayed in the house. Jesus has showed up, right? Why does Mary stay in the house? And I have a theory. Stay with me, because some of you can relate with Mary. I think something died in Mary. I think something died in Mary that some of you can relate to. Because here's what I think is happening with Mary. I think discouragement and grief killed something in Mary. Think about it. Some of you know exactly full well. She sat there and watched her brother gasping for air. She sat and watched him as he struggled to breathe. She said, go get Jesus. Get Jesus. We need Jesus. And then she watched as he gasped and breathed his last breath. I think Mary had a disappointment that killed hope in her. I think Mary had a grief that paralyzed her. And Jesus told Martha, go tell Mary, that Mary, I want to see her. You see... That's exactly where some of you are at this Easter. One of the things here at Grace we like to do is we like to just be honest. God can handle our honesty. There's no spiritual platitudes. We don't need to sanitize the truth. And if you were honest, some of you, life has dealt you a hand you never would have chosen. You've had things happen in your life that have been so disappointing and you find yourself, something died inside of you. You stopped. You have stopped. Your career didn't go the way, your relationship, your health, whatever it is, and and you stopped. And here's the deal. In the story in John 11, Jesus calls for Mary. And he's like, I want to talk to Mary. And what's interesting is when Mary makes her way to Jesus, verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, saw him, fell at his feet, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? It's almost like the sisters had talked. But Jesus handles each sister differently. Verse 33, he sees her weeping. The Jews who came along weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus simply cries with her. The Jews said, see how he loved him. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't handle her the same way he handles Martha. Why? Because Jesus is a wonderful counselor. 
And, 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 and when she comes, he doesn't lecture her or say, now, you know something, Mary? You really need to buck up because all things are going to All he does is enter into her pain with her. That's all he does. Enter into her grief with her. He actually weeps with her. It's fascinating. We haven't even gotten to the dead guy yet. And Jesus has encountered three people in whom something has died. Mary, her disappointment killed something in her. Martha, her spiritual platitudes and anecdotes have have killed something in her. There's no life. And Thomas, his his regimented legalism, and I'm going to do this and do the right thing, killed all expectation. But eventually Jesus gets to the dead guy. And verse 38, when he gets there, this is fascinating. He was deeply moved, came to the tomb, and there was a stone laid across the entrance. He says, take that stone away. Look what Martha says. Her doctrine had so smothered her faith that she says, "Uh, you don't really want to do that. He'd been in there four days. By this time, he's going to stink. She's just stating a fact. She's like, I don't think that's a good idea. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for their benefit, that they may believe that you sent me. Look at verse 43. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now look here a second. You've got to read more than black and white on the page. Jesus is standing at a dead guy's grave. And he calls him by name, Lazarus, come out. That is quite a moment. Can you imagine being Thomas? Like, dude, I thought we were going to die before. We really going to get killed if nothing happens here, right? Put yourself there. It's like, he's just, what? Man, if nothing happens, they're going to really think we're crazy. And imagine being Martha. It's like flipping through the pages of her catechism book or Sunday school book. Like, where's that in there? I can't remember that. What? Imagine being Mary at his feet like, wow, Jesus, as if this doesn't hurt enough. (laughs) Really? Verse 43 is a pivotal verse until you get to verse 44 and you got to see this. What happened? He said, Lazarus, come out. Dead man came out. You got to underline on your Bibles because that doesn't happen every day. Dead guy comes out of the grave, hands, feet, wrapped strips of linen, cloth around his face. Jesus said, take those grave clothes off. Let him go. What a moment. Can you imagine Thomas? Can you imagine Martha? Can you imagine Mary? When Lazarus comes walking out, grave clothes, they unwrap him. And all of a sudden, dead guy is alive. It's fascinating, right? I mean, it's fascinating. Jesus raised the dead guy. Wow, cool. Let's pray, go home. But Jesus wants you to know something this morning, that he didn't raise Lazarus so that we could celebrate, hey, he can raise a dead guy. He did that so that you would know something this morning. He did that so that you would know, I am the resurrection and the life. No, no, that's not what he wants you to know this morning. He wants you to know this. I am your resurrection and I am your life. That's what he wants you to know this morning. There's something deeper going on here. Well, what's going on here? What did he mean when he said that two things and then we'll be done? What's going on? You need to see verse 38 because some of you maybe have read this story, never seen this. I think it makes it make sense. Verse 38, Jesus, look at this, once more deeply moved. You got to circle those two words, deeply moved, came to the tomb. Why should I circle those words, Dan? Because they sound vanilla. 
I'm deeply moved. Like, I'm not sure what that means. Until you drill back in the language this was written in, and here's what this means. You ought to remember this. It gives a different image to what's going on here. It means to be furious and angry, to snort like an animal. Here's the picture. Jesus is standing outside of this tomb, and he is angry. He's infuriated. I like to think of his nostrils flaring. That's a different picture of Jesus, isn't it? And it begs the question, what's he mad at? What's he angry at? Is he angry at Lazarus for dying? I don't think so. Is he, is he mad at them for crying? I don't think so. Is he mad at God? No, because he said, I am God. He's not mad at himself. What's Jesus mad at? You know what I think he's mad at? I think he's mad as he watches, stay with me, as he watches how sin devastates and impacts people he loves. Because he loved them, make no doubt about it. And I think he stands outside of that tomb and he sees sin's impact that is all around us. It's sin that devastates. It's sin that destroys. It's sin that kills. It's sin that brings death to families, death to marriages, death to culture, death to societies. It's sin all around us. And he sees the impact of sin all around us. And I think he's angry because of his deep, deep love. But here's what he knows. This is the key to Easter. This is the key to today's message for you. The key is this, that he not only sees the devastating impact of sin all around us, but he realizes that the devastating sin impact all around us comes because there is a devastating impact of sin in all of us. Everyone included. It's in all play. The Bible says it this way, we're all sinners. All of us. No one's excluded. And the Bible says that because we're all sinners, that we all are spiritually dead. And so when Jesus came, he wanted us to know that I am your resurrection. He wanted us to know that I am the only solution to what is dead inside of you. I'm the only solution to your spiritual deadness this morning. Because you are a sinner... You are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 says it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. We are all spiritually dead. Jesus came and raised Lazarus, not just so that he could raise a dead guy. Lazarus died again. I've never met him. He died. That wasn't why he did it. He did it so that we might know he was exactly who he said he was, that he is the only one who can raise us to life spiritually. All of us are dead. Religion won't raise you to life spiritually. Obeying the rules won't raise you to life spiritually. Ten steps to a better you won't raise you to life spiritually. That's not it. Jesus said none of that. Hope is found in a person, and I'm that person. And Jesus simply says this, I am your resurrection, that if you say yes to me, I will raise to life what is dead in you. I will forgive your sins. I will make you part of God's family. I will promise you a forever life with God. That's what he says. In fact, for some of you, that is important news because the story of Easter means you can walk out of here and walk out from underneath the, listen close, Walk out from underneath of the guilt that's killing you. Some of you have guilt in your life and it's killing you. 
And you can walk into a grace found in Jesus that breathes life into you. For some of you, the power of Easter is you can walk out from the secret of your shame and into the life that only Jesus, the Savior, brings. That's the power of Easter. See, the power of Easter is something that's found in 1 Corinthians 15. When Paul says this, death has been swallowed up. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Sting of death is sin. Power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, for those who hook their life into Jesus, death is not the end. It's simply the transition into this life forever with God. But here's something key that some of you need to hear today. Jesus didn't just say, I am the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm not simply the solution to your spiritual deadness, but there's more going on here. I don't simply raise you to eternal, never-ending life, but I raise you to an abundant, full-of-life life. John 10.10, I've come that you may have life, have it to the full. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the only source to a life that is fulfilling. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, following me is the only source to a life with purpose, with meaning. It's the, only, it's the only way to a life that is full of an abundant meaning. You see, some of you need to hear that this morning. Here's why. Because for some of you, something's died. Something died in you. You are very religious. In fact, you are legalistically a rule keeper. And so you can relate with Thomas. And you're like, this is what you do. I go to church... I serve, I give, and you've stopped expecting God to show up. Something died. You know what happens when that's your Christian experience? You know what happens if that's your Christian experience? Do you remember Thomas' story? Do you remember Thomas' story? When Jesus rose again, who was the only one of the followers not there? Thomas. So the rest of them say, hey, guess what? Jesus is alive. And what did Thomas do? He said, I ain't going to believe that till I see it. You see what happens when duty kills delight, when obligation kills opportunity, when, when that begins to happen, I simply go through the motions. This is what you do. And I lose sight of the expectation. I lose sight of what God is doing. For some of you, you need to hear this this morning because Jesus said, I am the life. And for some of you, something's died in you. Because for you, your whole Christian experience is about believing the right thing. Stay with me. I don't want to mumble. This might sound confusing. It's believing the right thing. So you know all the answers to all the questions and you know how to put them to the right situations. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, listen, it's not just about believing the right thing, but those passages you like to quote, they point to a person. And that person is Jesus. And he's saying, don't just put a bumper sticker theology on situations because there's no life to that, but there's life in me. Others of you needed to hear that this morning. Jesus is the life because if you're honest... Life has kicked you in the gut. And disappointment, discouragement has killed something in you. 
And all of a sudden, you're that person who's like, I'm praising Jesus. I remember the time I was praising Jesus, but now I've stopped. I'm buried under the burden of life. And I would say this, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and life. And just like he did with Mary, he's calling you. He's saying, I know. I'm not calling you to lecture you. I'm not telling you, you better get things. I want simply to be with you so that you know that I am the God who enters into your pain with you. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Kind of begs the question then. If that's what he meant, then what does that mean for us? And I think there's two things and we're done. I'm going to invite the worship band to come out. I'd love for you to write these questions down. Because if Jesus is the resurrection and life, I think that maybe this morning, this Easter Sunday, he's asking us two questions. First and foremost, do you believe in me? I think the same question he asked Martha. Do you believe in me? Do you believe that I am the only solution to what is dead inside of you? Can I just talk straight with you for a second about something? I've been a pastor for over 20 years. I've done a gazillion funerals. Every funeral I ever do, this is what people say. Every funeral, every funeral I do. They say, well, they're in a better place. It's as though somehow you die and poof, everybody's in a better place. And Jesus is like, that's why I came. That's not the way it works. Only those who hook their life into the resurrection and the life are promised eternal life forgiveness of sins. Here's the deal. It has nothing to do with whether you're religious. It has nothing to do with how many times you've been in church, kept all the rules. It has everything to do with what Jesus did, believing that when he died, he died the death you deserve. When he rose again, he promised, secured the victory you can have. I think his question this morning is simple. Do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? But for a lot of the rest of us, I think maybe his question you might be here and say, I've said yes to Jesus. I believe in him. Then maybe his question is this, will you follow me? Oh, don't answer that too quick. Will you follow me even if I ask you to walk like Thomas did? Like if I ask you to go somewhere that's uncomfortable, unfamiliar, that might take a step of faith, will you follow me? Will you step outside of just, this is what religious people do, Till you die and will you follow me and listen and if you do will you expect God to show up for others of you maybe he's like will you follow me because life with me is much more than a bumper sticker theology there's no life to that I have all the right things to say at the right moments I believe all the right things and Jesus is like it's not about believing the right things it's about believing the right person there's a person behind those passages. There's a deity behind that doctrine, and it's me. I have a feeling there's some of you, though, that he says, will you follow me because something's died inside of you because you are disappointed. And your life has not gone the way you thought it should, would, or could, and your dreams, it's, it's all adjusted. And you've stopped. You 
just like, I'm just, I just stopped. I stopped investing. I stopped taking steps of faith. I never saw this coming. And Jesus simply says to you this Easter, will you follow me? I know. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I know you're discouraged. But I will tell you this, that if you'll follow me even in the hard times, I am the only source, you ready, the only source to a life that is full and a life that is filling. Even if it seems like a dead end to you right now. He says, you hang with me. And that's when you see the glory of God show up. So God, this Easter, my prayer is simply this, that you would lean into us however you see fit. And as we sing this last song to finish, song of celebration, I pray that you would allow the resurrection story to explode onto our hearts. Some of you in the room, heads bowed, eyes closed, have never said yes to Jesus. You can do that right there in your seat. You say, God, I know that I am dead in my sin, and I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he was buried and rose again. And this morning, I want to say, yes, Jesus. I believe you're the only solution to my spiritual deadness. Yes, Jesus. I want you to be my savior. Yes, Jesus. I want to follow you. Now, listen, if you had that conversation with God, somehow let me know that. Call, email, slug me in the arm afterwards, whatever the case may be. I want to hear from you. But God, there's a bunch of the rest of us that something's died in us in this Easter we need the one who is the resurrection and the life to explode on the scene of our life so God I pray that you would do just that this morning we pray this in Jesus name